Welcome to Daily Wisdom, Walking the Path with the Buddha, a podcast shared by David Roylance. This podcast is dedicated to guiding you to completely eliminate the discontent mind and the suffering it causes by attaining enlightenment. Learn and practice the teachings of Gotama Buddha that will guide you to fully attain a peaceful, calm, serene, and content mind with joy. To support this podcast, visit patreon.com forward slash support Buddha or visit buddhadailywisdom.com where you will discover a full range of courses, retreats, and online learning resources to assist you on the path to enlightenment. Now, here's our teacher to share more. Sawadikap. Hello and welcome to Daily Wisdom, Walking the Path with the Buddha. Today we're going to be discussing loving-kindness meditation and I'm going to be taking questions from you in order to help you with loving-kindness meditation and any other meditation practices that you're currently doing. And before we're finished, we're actually going to be doing a session of meditation together. Because each Wednesday at 9 o'clock Thai time, we get together in a virtual classroom and here streaming on Facebook and YouTube in order to share meditation teachings with you. Primarily on Wednesday, I'm sharing breathing mindfulness meditation, loving kindness meditation, and chanting. We're rotating those on a schedule of every three weeks. And those are kind of some of the core practices that we use in order to train the mind towards enlightenment or a peaceful, calm, serene, and content mind with joy. This is enlightenment. So because these practices are so important to training the mind, we spend time each Wednesday working on this, sharing the teachings, and helping to answer your questions to help you develop your practice more and more and more in the direction of enlightenment. And then on Sundays at nine o'clock Thai time, we go chapter by chapter in this book, Developing a Life Practice, The Path That Leads to Nibbana, in order for you to learn the teachings of Gautama Buddha. This week we're in chapter eight, which is the three poisons, essentially transforming the three poisons of greed, hatred, and delusion, or craving, anger, and ignorance. Next week, we'll be going into chapter 9. That's Sunday. We'll be going into chapter 9 in order to study gamma, or what is gamma and how does it affect me. But today, we're going to be discussing loving-kindness meditation. And we've got a moderator who is accepting questions from Facebook and YouTube, as well as the virtual classroom. So if you have a question that you would like to get answered, you can put that into the comment section of either Facebook, YouTube, or the virtual classroom, because I'll pause about every 10 or 15 minutes or so and accept questions. Or if you're in our virtual classroom, you have the extra functionality where you can actually click on participant and raise your hand. There's an electronic way to raise your hand and we'll see that and you can actually ask your question verbally or ask any follow-up questions that maybe the moderator has asked and that you would like to get some further clarification on. So let's go ahead and jump right into our content for today, which is studying loving-kindness meditation. So first, let's discuss why we're actually practicing loving-kindness meditation. 
if you have explored the three poisons at all in Gautama Buddha's teachings, then you understand greed, hatred, and delusion, or craving, anger, and ignorance. These are the three poisons that keep the mind in the unenlightened state. Essentially, we have this craving or this longing, this greed, this strong eagerness, wanting things to be pleasing for the mind, seeking outward satisfaction. And the mind constantly goes from craving to craving to craving. And if we don't get those cravings fulfilled, then the mind becomes discontent, becomes sad, angry, frustrated, irritated, feels guilt or shame or loneliness, fears, boredom shyness, all kinds of various mental states. So craving is vitally important that we train the mind away from craving to be calm, content, and peaceful, essentially having singleness of mind or concentration. We use breathing mindfulness meditation and the practice of generosity in order to do this. So today, even though we're not going to be studying breathing mindfulness meditation, we will do that as part of our practice today. Then the second poison of hatred or anger. This is essentially like ill will. And a lot of feelings come out of this. You know, this is where the mind is kind of neurotically looking for enemies or kind of looking for conflict. The mind becomes hostile. The mind becomes fierce and rage sometimes, maybe even frustrated or irritated or annoyed. These smaller symptoms of this poison of hatred or anger comes from the same poison. And the way to remedy or antidote this poison of hatred or anger is with loving kindness meditation. Essentially, we use loving kindness meditation to cultivate loving kindness in the mind and then practice it in daily life. And then there's the third poison of delusion or ignorance or unknowing of true reality. And this one is antidoted with wisdom. Learning the teachings, essentially learning Gautama Buddha's teachings, practicing those so that you can see the truth for yourself without belief, that you can actually practice the teachings, see that they're truth, gain wisdom, and now the mind is gonna function much differently in the world now that it has this new wisdom and you can reach this enlightened mental state which is permanent where you know sadness happiness excitement elation boredom loneliness fears guilt shame these are all impermanent mental states because they're based on conditions they're based on impermanent conditions these conditions of i got a new car or i got a new friend or I got new clothes or whatever it is that is creating the happiness or excitement or even the sadness and other feelings, all of these feelings are essentially based on certain conditions. And because those conditions are impermanent, they're not permanent, then the mind moves through these discontent mental states or these discontent feelings constantly throughout our day and throughout our week and throughout our month and year. But the enlightened mind has removed all of these conditions. There is no craving in the enlightened mind. The enlightened mind is going to have eliminated craving 100%. The enlightened mind is going to have eliminated hatred or anger. This frustration, irritation, annoyance will have eliminated that 100%. And they will have eliminated 
any delusion or ignorance or unknowing of true reality. They're now functioning through a mind full of wisdom that is now able to function in the world with peacefulness, with calmness, with serenity of mind, contentedness of mind, and there's joy because there's nothing that can harm you as part of an enlightened mind. You realize through these teachings that you're only harming yourself through your discontent feelings. So the enlightened mind will have eliminated all these conditions, all these three poisons, including attaining and realizing non-self and eliminating the ego. And through these practices, one will acquire a mind that is enlightened or peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy, where you'll never experience sadness, never experience boredom or loneliness or frustration or irritation or guilt or shame or fears. All of this stuff is completely eliminated from the mind. And you can reside with concentration, with clarity of mind, and with deep, profound memory, which can be beneficial for you in life and you'll experience more peacefulness and more productive relationships in your personal life, in your professional life, and life will just be very joyful, very peaceful for you. So it's a good goal, it's a good interest, it's a good objective to have to work towards attaining enlightenment. So let's talk about loving kindness, loving kindness meditation in this poison of hatred because this poison of hatred essentially we end up separating ourselves from others we kind of wall ourselves off we kind of look for division we have hostility we're always kind of fearful and looking out for who's going to offend us next and we sabotaging our relationships where we aren't looking at all beings in a peaceful loving and kind way we're kind of looking for the next person who's going to offend us and we can make them our enemy. But an enlightened being isn't going to need to do that because they're going to look at all beings in a different way and they're going to be able to conduct themselves in ways that they can be open to all beings and they know how to handle situations where someone might be aggressive or hostile to you. You'll know how to handle that as part of attaining enlightenment in attaining the enlightened mind. So meditation. Meditation is a dedicated, independent training session where you're actively training the mind. And you're going to be actively training the mind to either eliminate certain things or cultivate certain things. With breathing mindfulness meditation, we're training the mind to eliminate craving to eliminate greed, eliminate the holding on, the mind's tendency to want to hold on to everything and it craves permanence. So we're using breathing mindfulness meditation as a way to eliminate the unwholesome root of craving, right? We're, we wanna eliminate that, that unwholesome root. But with loving kindness meditation, the approach is very different. What we're doing is we're actually cultivating through an independent, active training session of the mind where we're actively training the mind to cultivate loving kindness and then practice that in daily life. What loving kindness is, is it's active goodwill 
towards all beings without judgment. And that's all beings. It's your mother, your father, your grandmother, your grandfather, your friends, your neighbors, your teachers, your brothers, your sisters, your, the person who's pumping your gas at the grocery store, the cashier, the janitor, the street sweeper, the CEO, the president of whatever country you're in. You know, it doesn't mean that you have to agree with all these people's decisions and what they do and who they are as a person. It doesn't mean you have to agree with them. But what you need to do in order to attain an enlightened mind is have active goodwill towards all beings without judgment. This is all beings. So not only is this human beings, but this is the animals as well. Having active goodwill for animals as well. And if you want to expand that even further, we can say even beings in the other lower realms, not just the animals, but in the afflicted spirit realm, in the hell realm, in the heavenly realm. And we can even say someday if there's aliens that are on this surface of the earth, we should have loving kindness for them as well, right? We should have loving kindness for all beings, active goodwill for all beings without judgment. And the way that you do that is you can't just snap your fingers and make that happen because If you've been afflicted by poison, which everybody has who's ever been born, you've got these three poisons as part of your birth. Poison doesn't just come out of the body with a snap of a finger. It has to slowly ooze out of the body. So what we're doing is we're building this loving kindness. We're cultivating this loving kindness in the mind slowly, gradually over multiple, multiple sessions so that then we can practice it in daily life. Again, practicing it with the cashier, the gas station attendant, the friends, the neighbors, everywhere, everywhere you go, learning how to smile at people, learning how to be friendly, learning how to be respectful, learning how to be humble, learning how to talk politely. Even when people are hostile to you, even when people are angry at you, even when they're having the worst day of their life and you just happen to walk into their life at that moment and they're just going berserk, that's a time that you still need to practice active goodwill towards all beings without judgment. We don't judge them for being hostile. We don't judge them for their opinions of one thing or another but we practice active goodwill because not everyone's going to have the same opinion on this earth. That is permanence, right? That's permanence. It doesn't exist. So you're always going to encounter people who have difference of opinion than you, different thoughts than you, who lead their life in different ways than you. Not everyone's going to make the same choices as, as us or as you. So, the best thing we can do in order to have this peaceful, calm, serene, and content mind in all situations is to practice active goodwill towards all beings without judgment. And we start that with loving kindness meditation and cultivating that in the mind so that then we fill up this bucket with more and more and more water of loving kindness so that when we go out into the world, then we can practice it on a daily basis. So this is what we're going to do today.
What I would like to share with you before we actually start loving kindness meditation is just a few things from Gautama Buddha's teachings. Now, Gautama Buddha's teachings are, are very extensive and exhaustive. They're in what's called the Pali Canon or the Pali Text. He taught for 45 years of his life from the age of 35 when he first became enlightened all the way until he died at the age of 80. So we have 45 years of him teaching and as he taught more and more and more and more people around him became enlightened and as they became enlightened that's how they knew he was a buddha because they knew what it was like to experience anger sadness frustration guilt shame boredom loneliness all these discontent feelings so when they eliminated that they knew for sure it was from his teachings because they had learned his teachings and followed what he suggested and their mind became more and more peaceful calm serene and content with joy so over the 45 years of his life as more and more people became enlightened not only did they notice this for themselves as their mind was becoming enlightened but because there's concentration clarity of mind and profound memory people remembered his teachings for about two or three hundred years before they actually started writing them down they could remember it they could remember word for word and eventually they wrote them down into what we call the Pali Canon or the Pali text. This is the largest collection of teachings that we have of Gautama Buddha's, but they don't contain everything. We know that for sure because from the time that he died to the dating of the text that we have, there was about 12 to 1300 years of time that elapsed. So he died in 483 BCE and the dating of the Pali Canon, I believe is right around 800 CE, right? So it's about 12, 1300 years from the time of his death until we have the collection of teachings that we have. Now, since they wrote them down two or 300 years after his death, there was other versions that led up to what we have today but today, the largest collection of teachings that we have is called the Pali Canon or Pali Text. And this is what is considered the source of his teachings within this tradition of teachings, which is called the Theravada teachings or Theravada Buddhism. Theravada means teachings of the elders. And it's called that because this is the tradition of teachings that is considered to be the closest to the time of the Buddha's death. And in this tradition, we feel that we would like to keep the teachings as close to what he actually practiced during his lifetime as we can. Now, other traditions came after the Theravada tradition that started changing and modifying and morphing his teachings, which is another approach to learning and practicing teachings. But in this tradition, the teachings of the elders we are interested in getting to as close to the source of what Gautama Buddha was actually teaching during his lifetime as possible, but we realize that impermanence has affected certain amount of the teachings and that whatever collection of teachings that we have are not 100%. And this is one of the reasons why people need teachers who have attained this mental state so you can be guided along the path. You can't just pick up the Pali Canon or Pali text and read it and become enlightened. It's not possible for you to do that. One, because you need teachers and guides. Only a Buddha can actually attain enlightenment on their own. Two, 
The teachings don't contain everything that you need. The Pali text doesn't contain everything. And three, you're going to have lots of questions along the way. So you need teachers and guides to help you understand the teachings further. So what I've done here is I've pulled out a few teachings of the Pali text. And oh yeah, the fourth reason why you couldn't probably read the Pali canon or Pali text and become enlightened is because it would probably take you 10 or 15 years to read it all. It's pretty extensive. And actually being able to remember it and actually practice it is quite challenging because it's 45 volumes of books. So what I've done is I've extracted some of the teachings related to loving kindness meditation just to kind of help you see some of the ways that the Buddha talked and some of the things that he said about loving kindness meditation. And this collection of teachings of the Pali text or Pali canon, because it doesn't include everything, I haven't seen anywhere where the Buddha actually gives specific exact guidance of how to do loving kindness meditation. Now we do have breathing mindfulness meditation. He gives very clear directions on that. And we have that in the Pali Canon and Pali text. But with loving kindness meditation, or some people call it metta meditation, you're going to see a lot of different ways that people practice this. And what I share with you is what worked for me in eliminating this poison of hatred in the mind. And when I share this with students, they report that it helps them and they see the benefit as well. So I think you'll find a lot of benefit in what I teach you as part of loving kindness meditation here in a little bit. But before we do that, let's look at some of the words of Gautama Buddha as he was talking about why we should be practicing loving kindness in daily life and why we should be practicing loving kindness meditation. This first bullet that I have here, you can see there, it says Rahula. Rahula is Gautama Buddha's son. A lot of people think that Gautama Buddha completely left his family and kind of abandoned them for the rest of his life. Well, yes, he actually left the royal palace as part of his pursuit to attain enlightenment. But leaving the royal palace for a period of time to seek a better understanding of life and attain enlightenment and then come back and actually share the teachings with your family as well as the entire world is very different than just walking out on your family as a deadbeat dad, right? He didn't do that. His family was in very good hands. They were in the royal palace. His wife and his son were part of the royal family. At the time, he was known as Siddhartha Gautama, and he was going to be the king. He was the next in line for the king. So his wife was a princess, the princess, the number one princess. And his son was also a prince. He was destined to be the king as well. So I'm sure when Siddhartha Gautama left, he knew that his family was going to be well taken care of. But after attaining enlightenment through his six-year pursuit, as he started teaching and sharing the teachings and helping more and more people attain enlightenment, eventually his family started coming to see him more and more and more. His stepmother, because his real mom actually died seven days after his birth, so his biological mother died, so he didn't have any contact with her, but his aunt, who became his stepmother, did come and she was the first ordained female 
that he ordained into his discipline as the first female. His son, Rahula, was the very first novice monk. A novice is training with about 10 precepts. They can't actually ordain until they're 20 years old. So he was very young and I don't know his actual age. I want to say somewhere between eight or so, you know, six, eight, 10 years old was how old his son was when he became a novice and actually started learning and training with, at that point, Gautama Buddha, because he was no longer Siddhartha Gautama, that once he attained enlightenment, we considered him aesthetic Gautama and ultimately Gautama Buddha. So here he's referring to his son. He's talking to his son. He's giving teachings to his son. And you will see this throughout his teachings where he references this person. And when he does, he's talking to his son. Rahula, develop meditation on loving kindness. For when you develop meditation on loving kindness, any ill will will be abandoned. I think this captures what I was saying earlier so clear and so succinct because ill will is essentially hatred or anger, ill will. When we refer to the 10 fetters, these are the 10 unwholesome qualities of the mind or 10 unpure qualities of the mind. We call them the taints, the 10 fetters. We usually refer to this as ill will. And it's the fifth fetter of the 10 fetters. It's the fifth fetter. So it's a lower fetter. And in order to attain the second stage of enlightenment, one would need to thin ill will. In order to attain the third stage, you would need to eliminate ill will. And then, of course, if you've eliminated at the third stage, by the time you get to the fourth stage, it will already have been eliminated. So this fetter of ill will, this taint of ill will, or this poison of ill will, hatred, anger, frustration, irritation, annoyance, needs to be abandoned. It needs to be eliminated. It needs to be destroyed. And how do we do that? Well, Gautama Buddha explains it exactly right here. Rahula, develop meditation on loving kindness. For when you develop meditation on loving kindness, any ill will will be abandoned. Very clear, very direct. So as I was describing, cultivating loving kindness in the mind and then practicing it in daily life. Here's another thing that he says. Loving kindness should be developed to abandon ill will. Boom. Short, sweet, and simple. Gautama Buddha's teachings are very clear, very concise, to the point. Because remember, he's a fully, perfectly enlightened Buddha. He's practicing the teachings. One who sees me sees the teachings. This is what he says, right? He's practicing the teachings. Right speech. Part of right speech is clear, concise, purposeful speech. So when you read the Buddhist teachings, he doesn't just ramble on, on and on and on and on. He's very clear, very concise, purposeful, to the point, very beneficial. And he's speaking with a mind of loving kindness. So when he's speaking, he's very clear and very concise in the way that he speaks. So here you can see that here. Now the Buddhist teachings go on 
with a lot of details about loving kindness and why we should practice it and how we should practice it and so forth. But these are just some very short parts of the text that I wanted to extrapolate in order for you to see why we're actually learning and practicing loving kindness meditation. So this should be very clear and very concise for you. The other thing I wanted to share with you is how Gautama Buddha viewed meditation, mainly loving kindness, but also breathing mindfulness meditation. There's actually a passage in his teachings that I was looking for, but I couldn't quite find for today's class, but I got one that was fairly close and that will help you understand what I would like to share with you next. So on this next part of the slide, you're gonna see where it's a little bit longer. What this particular passage or teaching is getting to is how much benefit loving kindness meditation is. In the teaching that I was actually looking for, Gautama Buddha goes through a whole list of offerings that people could make to him. He talks about 84,000 kilograms of gold, essentially, or 84,000 hectares of land. He talks about big offerings of all different types of things that people would potentially give to him that were kind of like material in nature or wealth and all of these different expensive, wealthy offerings that somebody could make to him during his life. And he talked about gold and land and all these different things. Well, he starts going lesser and lesser and lesser on material possessions and getting higher and higher and higher to what would be the most meritous or the most beneficial offering that anyone could ever make. And the second highest quality of offering that anybody could ever make, he said, was to do loving kindness meditation. The highest quality of offering or merit or gamma that one could produce was breathing mindfulness meditation. We're going to talk about gamma and merit in the next couple of weeks, but I want to show you in his teachings how he talks about how important meditation is in the fact that he says breathing mindfulness meditation is the highest quality offering that anyone could make and loving kindness meditation is the second highest quality. And if you think about that for a minute, if anybody goes out and rounds up all this money and gold and land, okay, you give that. But if you go back and you're still angry and hateful and practicing wrong speech and wrong action, what good is all this money and land if this person is creating all this unwholesome gamma, all this poor speech, all these actions that are causing harm in the world, that's not making any wholesome offering because they're still producing all this harm in the world. So if we're going to produce the very most quality offering, which is merit or the very best gamma, what Gautama Buddha was teaching is that we should do breathing mindfulness meditation and loving kindness meditation as the first highest breathing mindfulness meditation and the second highest being loving kindness meditation. Because he says this in his teachings, it shows you how important meditation is for your practice. But the other thing it does is it helps dispel the myth that somehow you have to be rich 
or wealthy in order to attain enlightenment. Rich in wealth doesn't equate to one who's attained enlightenment. Because if you look at Gautama Buddha, by the time he was fully enlightened, he didn't have anything. He had no money. He gave up everything, right? And he was fully enlightened. So you don't have to be rich and you don't have to make extensive, huge monetary offerings to the temple or to your teacher or other places in order to attain enlightenment. Sure, it helps you practice generosity by giving to your teacher or giving to the temple or giving to monks, giving food, giving clothing, giving financial support. That's needed in order to share the teachings worldwide. But if you're somebody who has barely enough money just for yourself and your family to eat and provide shelter and water and medical supplies, you can still attain enlightenment. You don't need extensive amounts of money in order to attain enlightenment. And some might even say that having a lot of wealth can be somewhat of an obstacle to attaining enlightenment because there tends to be craving there in order to acquire that. So whether you're wealthy, whether you're poor, whether you're middle class, you can still attain enlightenment through these teachings. But in order to do so, you need to learn the teachings and practice the teachings, which includes loving kindness meditation. So let's review what the Buddha is saying here, explaining how important loving kindness meditation is. Here he says, bhikkhus, this is the male ordained disciples of the Buddha, bhikkhus. And he usually addresses bhikkhus because that's pretty much who was around him. And those were the people who were remembering his teachings and writing them down. But there's other times where he's referencing other people. So here he's referencing bhikkhus. If someone were to give away a hundred pots of food as charity in the morning, a hundred pots of food as charity at noon, 12 o'clock, and a hundred pots of food as charity in the evening, and if someone else were to develop a mind of loving kindness, even for the time it takes to pull a cow's udder, this is to milk a cow, the nipple of a cow, either in the morning, at noon, or in the evening, this would be more fruitful than the former. Essentially what he's saying, if someone gives up 300 pots of food over the course of the day, morning, midday, and evening, and they took all the time to get that, all the money to get that, the enormous amount of time to give away that much food and actually offer it, that is less fruitful than someone who develops a mind of loving kindness for the time it takes to pull the nipple of a cow. And that takes essentially two seconds to do that. Now, don't get hung up on the Buddha talking about interacting with animals here, right? Like pulling the udder of a cow. Because if you remember, when he was teaching 2,500 years ago, not only was he teaching the bhikkhus who were ordained, but all those people at one time or another grew up in that local area, most likely. And he was also teaching lay people, even though he was talking to the monks. And during that time, many people would understand the length of time that it takes to pull a cow's udder. He's essentially using an analogy that everyone would, would be able to understand. 
So he's teaching people based on what they currently understand. Here, he's not necessarily endorsing milking cows. He's just using a reference to help people understand the amount of time that he's talking about, which is essentially just a second or two, okay? So someone who spends all this time, effort, money, and energy to collect up all this food, that is less fruitful than someone who does loving kindness meditation, even just for the short time that it takes to pull the udder of a cow. Then he goes on. Therefore, bhikkhus, you should train yourself thus. We will develop and cultivate the liberation of mind by loving kindness. Make it our vehicle. Make it our basis. Stabilize it. Exercise ourselves in it and fully perfect it. Thus should you train yourselves. So he's telling them, he's explaining to them to cultivate loving kindness in the mind. And you saw earlier that he explains how to do that is with loving kindness meditation. So here in this passage, he's explaining how important loving kindness meditation is to your practice in order to liberate the mind, in order to attain enlightenment. That's all he's teaching. He only ever taught teachings that liberate the mind to enlightenment. There's other similes where he talks and he says, I'm not going to teach you anything else other than what it takes to attain enlightenment. And I can share that simile with you guys if you would like, but he only ever taught what leads to enlightenment. So that's what he's sharing here is how to get to enlightenment in this one aspect of developing loving kindness. And again, the other passage that I have is much longer. It's about four or five, six pages. This was really short, so it was easier to grab this. But that other passage or other text that I have, it just goes through a mountain of offerings, you know, 84,000 kilos of gold, 84,000 hectares of land, and he just lists out all these wealthy offerings. And he says, all of that pales in the comparison of that which someone practices loving kindness meditation and breathing mindfulness meditation. Because by you training your mind, you are eliminating the three unwholesome roots, the three poisons. You are going to start practicing the teachings that lead to enlightenment. And that means you're having less and less of an impact on the world around you and you're practicing and reducing the harm that you're putting out in the world. So that is the absolute best thing you could ever do for yourself, for those close to you, and all of humanity. So that's why we practice loving kindness meditation because it's so important to eliminating this poison of hatred or anger it's going to help you eliminate frustration, irritation, annoyance. It's going to help you eliminate this fetter of ill will, which is the same thing as this poison of hatred or anger. And you will be that much closer to enlightenment the more that you practice loving kindness meditation. Do we have any questions, Max? I have a question, and that is, can we use loving kindness to deal with feelings of guilt? And if so, how can it help us with guilt? Um, it really depends what the guilt's around. 
right? We can have guilt for lots of different reasons, right? Let's say we can feel guilty because we were angry at somebody, right? We can feel guilty for that. And sure, this is going to be helpful for that. But we can also feel guilty like if we have a craving to buy my son a certain toy and I don't have the money to actually do that. And then I feel guilty because I didn't do it. I can feel guilt for that as well. So the feeling of guilt can come from craving. It can come from anger as well. So therefore, the answer to the question is yes, it's going to help you eliminate guilt, but it's not a complete solution. You still have to eliminate all three poisons in order to get rid of guilt. I see. So it really depends on the source of the act, really. So, so if it was say uh, an act, an act that was done out of ill will, then certainly loving kindness would be a, a great antidote for that. Yes. Um, yes, right. I could. I could okay. kill somebody out of hatred and anger, and then later I may feel guilty. I mean, I wouldn't do that, but just giving an example that could make me feel guilty and it came from hatred and anger but essentially it came from craving too right because these these teachings a lot of times are interwoven and sometimes we try to dissect them to really understand them and that's good because the buddha said we should investigate the teachings and really reflect on them and think about them but in order to get the complete solution which is going to eliminate guilt entirely from the mind you have to eliminate all three poisons which is going to include breathing mindfulness meditation and loving kindness meditation. So loving kindness meditation is definitely a step in the right direction, Max, but it's not the complete solution. Sure. Got it. Okay. Um, so we have a question from Mercia on, on the Zoom class. And uh, Mercia asks, well, first she says, thank you for your teachings, David. Please, You're can welcome. you describe loving kindness or metta? But she follows up and asks, are we to cultivate feeling actual love to all beings? Or is it more a feeling of friendliness slash kindness? Yeah, so we haven't gotten to the point in our group learning program where we talk about true love and what love is. That's in chapter 14. But let's just talk about love a little bit here so that we understand what that is. What love is, is, is love is a genuine wish for other people to be well and to be peaceful. In the unenlightened mind, the unenlightened state, we misunderstand love. We actually call it love, but it's really attachment. We usually say, I love you, therefore I want you to be with me because you make me happy. Right? I love you because you make me happy and I want you to be with me and I want to be with you because you make me happy. Well, this isn't love, this is attachment. This is, I need you to be with me because you make me happy. You are meeting my expectations, and therefore I will tell you I'm in love with you. And then as soon as you're not meeting my expectations anymore, I will say I'm out of love with you. I no longer love you. This is not love. This is attachment. Because if you love someone, if you have a genuine wish for other people to be peaceful, a genuine wish for other people to be well, then you're not going to fall in love and out of love with people as an enlightened mind. If you have a genuine wish for others to be well, others to be peaceful, then you can hold that love for everybody on the face of the earth that is here now, that came before you and that comes after you. You can love everybody because you have a genuine interest for all beings to be well, to be peaceful. This is true love. 
Okay, we'll go into it much more detail in chapter 14, which is about five weeks from now, six weeks from now. But this is true love. We misunderstand love. In the unenlightened state, we have certain expectations. We get feeling really attached to somebody. We really want them to be in our life because they fulfill a certain need that we have. And then we latch on with the mind and we essentially sabotage the relationship. And then the relationship becomes discontent and it ends. And now we say, I don't love you anymore. But that's not love. That's selfishness. Because we say, if you meet all these expectations, then I will love you. And as soon as you stop meeting these expectations, I won't love you anymore. So to answer your question, Mercy, if your understanding of love is what I'm describing is love is a genuine wish for others to be well, a genuine wish for others to be peaceful. Yes, loving kindness is that a genuine wish for others to be well, for others to be peaceful active goodwill towards all beings without judgment. Without judgment, that's in there because we don't just have loving kindness for the people who are in our immediate family in this life, or we don't just have loving kindness for the people who agree with us and people who are our friends and people who we enjoy being around because that's still not loving kindness for all beings without judgment. We're saying we don't love those other people because they don't agree with us and we don't agree with the way they are. So therefore, we're not going to love them and we're not going to have loving kindness for them. That's an aversion. That's not loving kindness. Loving kindness is I have an active goodwill. I have a genuine wish for peacefulness. I have a genuine wish for all beings to be well, regardless of who they are, where they're from what they look like, anything. I have a genuine wish for all beings to be well, to be peaceful, active goodwill towards all beings. And this is what loving kindness is. And we need to be able to practice that for all. And one thing that loving kindness meditation can definitely help with since Max was kind of starting to talk about this is it can really help with resentment. It can really help with forgiveness because in our life, at different times in our life, you may have had people do harmful things, right? You might have experienced traumatic things either from people that were close to you or friends or family or teachers or different people in your community. And the mind might be holding on to this hurt, to this fear, to this resentment, and you haven't really forgiven them yet. And it would be hard for you, perhaps, to have active goodwill or a genuine interest in peace, a genuine interest in well-being for those people that have harmed you. And oftentimes the mind kind of blocks them off and puts them in a certain category. Or if you have a certain feeling about certain issues, some people are really strong feeling about abortion or really strong feeling for abortion, or really strong feeling about certain political sides or another side. And you may, in your mind, have this active goodwill for some groups, but not other groups. And what you need to evolve to, to eliminate this poison of hatred, anger, ill will, to eliminate this unwholesome root, to cultivate this more enlightened mind, is you need to have loving kindness for all beings 
even the people that have caused you harm in the past. You have to eliminate any resentment that you might have in the mind. Breathing mindfulness meditation helps with that, but loving kindness meditation also is a big help for that. So now that you understand what loving kindness is, active goodwill, a genuine wish for peacefulness, a genuine wish for all beings to be well. Now that you know what meditation is, a dedicated independent session where you're actively training the mind, right? So actively training the mind for all beings to be well, all beings to be peaceful, this active goodwill. That's what metta meditation or loving kindness meditation is, this active training of the mind to cultivate this goodwill, this peacefulness, this genuine wish for all beings to be well in your mind, okay? Metta meditation is not a prayer where you're sending out loving kindness to other beings and wishing for them to be more loving and kind because you can't change them. You can only change your own mind. So this is a practice for you, an active, dedicated, independent training session for your mind. And by you training your mind that way and treating everyone around you with loving kindness, because of the natural law of gamma, if you are treating others this way, people will slowly treat you this way as well. So by you practicing loving kindness, everything starts with you, you will notice that others will treat you this way more and more and more. But it takes time, right? It takes a lot of time. So now that you understand what loving kindness is, now that you understand what meditation is, now we can actually go into how to actually do it. The other thing that you understand at this point is not only what loving kindness is and what meditation is, but you also understand why we're doing loving kindness meditation. We're doing it to eliminate this poison, this unwholesome root, this fetter, this taint, this defilement, this pollution, this unwholesomeness in the mind of hatred, anger, irritation, frustration, ill will, right? Annoyance, all of that kind of hostility, the aversion where we push people away from us. That's what we're working to eliminate. That's why we're doing it. And then once we do it over multiple, multiple, multiple sessions, the condition of the mind is changing. It becomes more purified. It becomes more trained so that then slowly and gradually over time, we can practice loving kindness in daily life. You know, it's great if we do a loving kindness meditation each day, but then you have to transfer that into your daily life by treating all beings with loving kindness, active goodwill, being peaceful, wishing them well, right? And even it can just be a smile. It can be just having an intention of harmlessness towards all beings, right? So that's why we're actually doing it so that it transfers and carries with us in daily life. So if we cultivate it in the mind through meditation, then we're more readily able to practice it in daily life so that then our intentions, our speech, and our actions come from a place of loving kindness. And then you will see because of the natural law of gamma, by you practicing in this way with loving kindness at the core 
in your intention, speech, and actions emanating from this place of where you wish peacefulness, where you wish everybody well, where you have a genuine love and kindness for all beings, then you will notice that more and more of this will come your way. You don't do this because you want others to treat you this way. You do it because you know it's right for your practice. You don't have an expectation to change anyone else in your practice. This is your practice. But I'm just sharing with you that as you practice this way, because of the natural law of gamma, it will come back to you. But don't expect it. Don't look for it. Don't set that as your goal, but just know that that's how it works. That's how it happens. And that's why you're changing your own mind first. You're always starting with yourself because you can't change other people. You can only train your mind, but by training your mind to have right view, right intention, right speech, right action, right livelihood, right effort, right mindfulness, right concentration, eliminating craving or greed, eliminating anger, hatred, eliminating delusion, ignorance, unknowing of true reality, eliminating the self, eliminating the ego, cultivating these healthy mind states, you will see that your practice will improve and you will be able to more easily, more readily interact with people all throughout your life. So let's get into the actual meditation, how I recommend for you to do this and how I've discovered for myself, this is what works and this is what I teach my students as part of their practice and they observe that it works as well. The next slide is titled Rings and Affirmations. Essentially what you're going to be doing through your meditation is you're going to start your meditation the same way that we start all meditations. And if you have a chanting practice, which is what I'll do, you can start it with the chanting because that's how I start all of my meditation sessions pretty much. There's of course, there's times where I don't chant, but pretty much all the time, you know, most of the time I do chant, but nothing's permanent. So sometimes I don't, um, but I pretty much chant as a way to become aware of the mind and aware of the breath. After chanting, you get down into meditation and we do breathing mindfulness meditation for a period of time. Today, maybe five, 10 minutes, we'll see. I don't time it because there's no need to actually time it. We'll just do some breathing mindfulness meditation where we're focusing on the breath and eliminating the thoughts, eliminating the thoughts that come to mind, just cutting that off and bringing the mind to the breath. I'll give you some guidance in that meditation when we actually start doing it. So we're gonna do that meditation first, breathing mindfulness meditation, because we wanna clear the mind. We wanna let go of the thoughts. If we're still thinking about our day or we're thinking about the future or we have all this random cloudiness in the mind, we wanna use breathing mindfulness meditation to center the mind, to bring it to a singleness of mind, a central focus. We want to let go of all this clutter and bring the mind to the breath and focus it on the breath. Once we've done that for a period of time, now the mind has been prepared to do loving kindness meditation. Sure, you could just go right into loving kindness meditation if you want to. However, what you'll notice is if you do breathing mindfulness meditation first, 
you're going to get more benefit out of the loving kindness meditation. But if you'd like to do loving kindness as a standalone, you can. But I just suggest, and what we're going to do today is actually do breathing mindfulness meditation first before we go into loving kindness meditation. Once we start loving kindness meditation, I'm going to say out loud some affirmations. These affirmations, I'm going to say out loud so that you can hear them. If I wasn't meditating with you guys and I wasn't guiding this meditation, I wouldn't say these out loud. I would say them in the mind. And that's how we're cultivating the loving kindness and active goodwill is in the mind. So for you guys, even though I'm going to say the affirmation out loud for you, you just say it quietly in the mind. Okay. And you say it on the out breath. Okay. On the out breath. So no matter where I say it, when you get to your next out breath, you actually say the affirmation in the mind. And I'm going to start with, may I be peaceful. And you say that in the mind on the out breath. Then you, you'll hear me say, but you put it in your mind, may I be safe. Then you're going to hear me say, may I be well. May I be free of all discontentness and the suffering that it causes. Okay, so I'm going to space these out and I'm going to say them on the out breath out loud just so you can hear it and then you can repeat it in the mind on your next out breath. Then from there, I'm going to make progressively larger and larger and wider rings. Here, what I'm sharing is may we be peaceful, may all beings be peaceful. This is kind of a short abbreviated three rings of loving kindness. But in reality, I very rarely ever used three rings. I usually have five, six, eight, 10, 12 different rings, and you're getting wider and wider. You're always starting with yourself, and then you're working out further. And again, we're not praying. We're not asking those people, these other beings, to be peaceful to us. We're not asking them to be safe. What we're doing is we're cultivating a genuine intention cultivating this in the mind that all beings are peaceful, safe, well, and free of discontentness and the suffering it causes. This last word, peaceful, safe, well, free of all discontentness and suffering it causes, this is what I call a non-burdening intention. Okay? What we don't want to say here is, may I be kind, may I be respectful, May I be polite, or may all beings be kind, or may they be respectful, may they be polite. Because these words of kind, respectful, polite, it's burdening, and it requires somebody to do something, right? It requires us to do something to be polite, to be respectful, to be kind. What we're going for here is a statement that doesn't burden me with any particular obligation. So one nice thing about this meditation is it creates some room for creativity. What I'm sharing with you here is how I do this, but you can actually come up with other affirmations that you choose. You may choose to use these, or you may choose to use your own. And you can come up with these, and you'll hear different people use different versions of this. But what you don't want to say is, may all beings be polite, 
may all beings be kind. I don't even say may all beings be happy because happiness is not the goal. Nibbana is not happiness. So a lot of people will say may all beings be happy. And I don't use this one because it's not the goal. I don't want all beings to be happy. I'm interested in all beings being peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy. That's enlightenment. Happiness is temporary. So why would I have a genuine interest in other people having something that's temporary? But peacefulness can be permanent. Safety can be permanent. Being well can be permanent. Being free of all discontentness and the suffering it causes can be permanent. So my interest is to see all beings be peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy. So I don't even use happiness as part of this, although you'll see a lot of people use that. So you want to come up with a phrase, or you can use these, or come up with a phrase that is non-burdening. And then you expand your rings out further and further and further, always starting with yourself. You got to start with yourself. Even though there is no self, there's no you, there's no I, which we've talked about in this class before, but you got to start with this mind. You got to start with this mind because how could you ever have a genuine wish for someone else to be peaceful if you don't have that wish for your own self, your own mind, right? So that's why you got to start with yourself first. This helps to eliminate negative self-talk, negative self-image, resentment toward yourself or hostility toward yourself. Because some people, they can love everyone else. They can have kindness for everyone else, but they're not really kind to themselves, right? And they're kind of got that reversed. They're being kind to everyone else in the world, but they're not being kind to themselves. We see that in times like right now, a lot of people around the world might just be working and working and working and working and working and working and trying to help everyone else, but they don't take the time for themselves. So they're giving loving kindness to everyone else, but they're not showing it for themselves. So you have to have loving kindness for yourself first before you can have it for other people. So you have to cultivate it for yourself first. It's just like if you were going to teach a class on how to get rich, but your bank account says negative $5,000, how could you ever teach other people to get rich? Because you're not rich. You don't have money. You don't have wealth. So you have to have something first before you can have it for other people. A lot of times in society, certain cultures teach you got to give everything to everybody else first before you can have it for yourself. But in this practice of loving kindness, you've got to have loving kindness for yourself first. So that's why we start with, may I be peaceful. And then I'm going to move out from there. And then at the end, I'm going to do a chant in order to provide a chant for the ending to kind of bring us out of meditation. Does anybody have any questions? A question, David, about when we um, express loving kindness to to other beings and ourselves. In fact, um, but what happens for me often there's a there's a visual element to that. So I'll imagine them. I don't try to cr create an image in my mind. 
but it usually just appears in some form, uh, whether it's just th them, the being, in a certain place, uh, looking peaceful, usually. I was wondering if that is something you'd encourage, um, and if so, are there any guidelines around how to incorporate a visual element to loving kindness? Yeah, you can certainly include visual elements. Uh, the one that you just described sounds fine to me. One of the things that I used to always do, because I'm doing this affirmation on the out breath, when I'm breathing out, I would envision syrup coming over the body and kind of enveloping myself with peacefulness. May I be peaceful? And I would envision kind of syrup enveloping me with peacefulness. And then safety and, well, may I be free of discontentness. And then when I do the next ring, I would envision syrup coming over, kind of engulfing and enveloping that next ring in each subsequent ring. So, yeah, any kind of visualization that might help you. This is a very different meditation than the breathing mindfulness meditation because breathing mindfulness meditation, we're eliminating things from the mind. We're not trying to hold on to anything. We're bringing the mind to the breath and focusing on the breath. So when the mind goes to the past or the future or thoughts, ideas, perceptions, we're eliminating everything, bringing it to the breath, focused on the breath, singleness of mind. We're eliminating something from the mind. But here we're cultivating. We're cultivating. We're bringing things into the mind. So here we've got an affirmation. If you want to use visualizations, you can use visualizations. That's great whatever visualizations that work for you. And this is the beauty of being around a community of practitioners is you can talk to different people about how they do loving kindness meditation and you'll hear different ideas and different things that people will share. And then if you hear something that's interesting to you and that sounds like it might work for you, try it for three, four, five, ten 10 sessions and see how it works. If it works, great. You just discovered something new that's helping you a lot. If it doesn't work, just get rid of it and keep doing what you're doing. Or if what I'm sharing with you here works and it's helping you, then just keep doing this. But one of the nice things about being in a community is you can ask people how they do loving kindness meditation and get different ideas and different thoughts and then try it because the truth is in your practice. If you're seeing benefit in the way that you've been taught meditation and it's improving the condition of the mind, you should see that after four, five, six, 10, 12 sessions, you should notice it. And if you're noticing that something's working, then great, then you've, you've got the benefit of that. But always stay focused on what the goal is on loving kindness meditation. The goal is to cultivate this active goodwill and eliminate this hatred, this anger, this frustration, this hostility, this annoyance. So if that's what's happening through whatever practice you develop of loving kindness meditation, then that practice is what's leading you to those results. And that's how you know it's the truth. That's how you know it's working. Thanks, David. Just to follow up then, on the topic of eliminating unwholesome states, so using loving kindness as the way to uproot anger and ill will, if you're at a point where you you are very frustrated and angry and the the loving feelings and the kind feelings aren't necessarily flowing and you maybe get to the, the last ring, maybe you, like in some uh, meditations, we might choose the rings of, you know, self, 
friend, neutral person, and then difficult person. You know, it's quite a mm-hmm. common technique. If we get to someone who we find difficult and the feelings aren't coming, would you suggest that we 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 carry on, we persist, uh, and just say say the affirmations, even if even if the feelings aren't arising, and just you know, persist with that, or is there a case there to work on, on something else instead? I agree with what you said first, which is if you get to a certain ring or a certain person and you don't really feel it, you don't feel the loving kindness, then that's a case for you to do this even more and doing it persisting, as you said, for that person. In fact, if you get to a certain ring and you're not feeling it, there's nothing wrong with you just pausing right there and doing it over and over and over and over and over and over again until you're ready to go to the next ring. What I'm doing here, because I'm leading a class of people, is I'm just going right through all the rings. But when you're doing this on your own as individual practice, if you're having challenges with a particular person or a particular ring or whatever you're setting up, then I would say do these affirmations multiple, multiple times for that ring or that person before you move on. In fact, there were times when I was working with this really closely where I was having certain trouble with maybe like an employee at the time, which I don't have employees anymore, but at that time, maybe an employee or a customer or a family member or a landlord or something. And I would sit down and do meditation just for myself. And then I would go right to that person and I would just do that person for 20, 30 minutes, just that person only, and then go to all beings. And that would be how I structured that meditation for that particular day or even for several sessions after that if I was still holding on to resentful feelings or hateful feelings for that particular person. So you can actually structure this the way that I'm doing here, but you know, I'm doing kind of a generalized structure because I'm leading a class. But what's important is that, as you said, Max, is uproot your own hatred, anger, ill will, resentment, irritation, frustration, annoyance, the people in your life, the rings in your life that you need to uproot that with are going to be very different than what I'm doing here. I'm just doing this as a way of kind of helping you guys get acquainted with the meditation. But then your homework is to structure this in a way that really works for you, that is leading your mind and training your mind in the direction that it needs to go in order to eliminate all your anger, all your hatred, all your ill will, frustration, everything, resentment, everything to the point where you can love all beings, have kindness for all beings. There's no one that you don't have a genuine wish for peacefulness and well-being. Now, some people might say, oh, I love everybody. Some people might say that, right? Some people can say that. A lot of people can say that. But what you have to look at is your practice because the words of saying I love everybody and yeah, I want everybody to get along in the world, but then you're aggressive and hostile to somebody, that's different. See, you say it in your speech, but your actions are different. So don't just say, oh yeah, I love everybody, so I don't need to do this meditation because yeah, I love everybody. I love animals. I love all creatures. You have to look at your practice. Are you being hostile? Are you being frustrated? Are you being irritated? Are you annoyed by people? Are you feeling, you may not feel hate. You may not feel anger. You may not even feel ill will because those are kind of like the strong 
variables of the spectrum, but you might have any variable on the spectrum, which includes frustration, irritation, annoyance, you know, dislike, even the slightest dislike. If somebody comes in, you just, oh, I just don't like this person. Oh. You know, you might smile, you might be friendly, but oh, inside, I just don't like this person. I'm just smiling just because I'm trying to be a nice person and uh, I really don't like them too much. And I know this is going to be over in five minutes. I'm not going to see them again for another six months. I uh, just smile. Even that person, even that slight little dislike for that five minutes or those two minutes, even that one second, you have to get to the point where you have loving kindness, all beings, all the time not just in words, not just in speech, but in your practice. And this is where mindfulness, awareness of mind, right mindfulness comes into play. This is why we start with breathing mindfulness meditation. We need to always cultivate mindfulness, awareness of mind, and focus it on the breath so that then in loving kindness meditation, we're gonna be more productive. Thank you for that, David. We have no more questions. Okay. So for everybody who's in the virtual classroom, who's in the social media platforms and those listening on the podcast, go ahead and get yourself into a physical position for meditation, either seated, lying, or standing. We have these three positions. If you're sitting on a chair on the floor, just make your lower body comfortable. Shouldn't be painful. You can have your legs crossed if you want. You can have them flat on the floor if you're in a chair. There's lots of different ways to put the body. So don't feel like your body has to be in the same position as everyone else. What's important is that your lower body is comfortable. If at any point your body feels pain, you need to just change position and get to the point where you don't feel pain because it's very hard to cultivate loving kindness and peacefulness and for all beings to be well, if all the mind feels is pain, 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 pain. So we've got to keep the body and maintain it in a position that's not painful because the body is the employee and the mind is the boss. But to get to the boss, we have to go through the employee, right? So we have to make the employee happy before we get to the boss. So make the lower body comfortable, but not luxurious because that's when the mind will turn off and be unattentive or unalert. We wanna keep our alertness so that we can actively train the mind. So lower body should be comfortable, not luxurious. And if you ever feel pain, just change the position to get to a, something that feels comfortable so that you don't feel that pain. The upper body should be in the middle, not slouched and not real rigid, but in the middle, using your own muscles. So if you're in a chair, don't lean back because the mind will have a tendency to turn off because the body is luxurious. If the employees are too luxurious, they're gonna to tend to fall asleep. So you gotta keep them active. You gotta keep them engaged. You gotta keep the body active and engaged and the way that you do that is with the upper body, is keep the upper body active and engaged, okay? If you get really, really, really old someday and your muscles are too sore, hopefully you've already attained enlightenment by the time you get there, go ahead and lean back in your chair. But until then, stay attentive, keep your body uh, engaged. With your hands and your arms, Gautama Buddha put his right hand over his left and he put his thumbs together and then he put them in, in his lap. He put the back of his hand in his lap 
with his palms facing up, right hand over left, and the thumbs together. If this is helpful for you, and it feels comfortable, do it. But if it doesn't, there's lots of other ways. Everyone doesn't have to do it the same way as Gautama Buddha. For me, this is comfortable, so I do it. But if any point in my life it's not comfortable, I will change it. I will put my hands face down on my lap. I will put my hands on my knees. I will find another position. And there's lots of different ways to do this. If you've been around meditation, people do it in all different ways. So it's not about the physical body. Everyone has to do it the same way. And there's nothing that you can do with the physical body that's going to create in the conditions of enlightenment in terms of if I put my hands like this or you put your hands like that, it's not going to make a difference of whether you get to enlightenment or when you get to enlightenment. What's important is that the body is comfortable and not feeling pain because we need to go through the employee to get to the boss. So go ahead and take your comfortable position, either seated, lying or standing and close your eyes and start breathing in through the nose and out through the nose. Nice, steady, consistent breaths. Bring your mind to the breath, awareness of breath. I'm gonna do some chanting, and if you know this chants, you're welcome to do them with me. And if not, you can just continue to focus on your breath, and then I'll provide you some guidance when I'm done with chanting. Ara-hang-sam-ho-to-m-ha-ka-va-po-tang-bha-ka-van-hang-api-va-te-mi-sava-kha-to-m-ha-ka-va-ta-tam-mo Tāmaṅ-namasāmi Supatipanobhakavato Sāvaka-sāṅkho Sāṅkhāng-namāmi Nap-mo-dha-sa-bhaka-vato Ara-hato-sam-ma-sam-bhuta-sa Nap-mo-dha-sa-bhaka-vato Ara-hato-sam-ma-sam-bhuta-sa Nap-mo-dha-sa-bhaka-vato Ara-hato-sam-ma-sam-bhuta-sa Iti-pi-so-am-bhaka-va Ara-hang-sam-ma-sam-bhuta-sa Vichacharanangsamhuno Sakhatorokavitu Anutero purisa 
มสติสตาตาวามนุสนังภูโตปากวาติเ
that you've worked on letting go of the thoughts and bringing the mind to the breath, singleness of mind. Now we'll practice loving kindness meditation. <clears throat> As I say each affirmation, just repeat it in the mind, on the out-breath, wherever you are. Whenever you get to that out-breath, just repeat it in the mind. Continuing to focus on the breath. peaceful. May I be safe. May I be free of discontentness in the suffering that it causes. May we be peaceful. May we be safe. May we 
be well. May we be free of discontentness and the suffering it causes. May all those who are close to me, family, friends, may they all be peaceful. be safe. May they be free of discontentness and the suffering it causes. May all those whom I've harmed in this life, may they all be peaceful.
May they be safe. May they be well. May they be free of discontentness and the suffering it causes. May all those who have harmed me be peaceful. May they be safe. free of discontentness and the suffering it causes.
may they be safe. May they be well. May they be free of discontentness and the suffering it causes. Tama sati sata tawa 
ಮನೂಸನಾಕವಾತಿ Okay, if you guys would like to slowly bring yourself out of meditation. Kind of open your eyes slowly. Do a couple stretches of the neck if you need to of the body. Just kind of bring your awareness back. You may notice a slight little difference between how you felt before meditation and now afterwards i know i can tell a difference in my voice it's kind of come down a few octaves talking a little bit slower right this is gamma gamma is the result of your decisions that's what gamma is it's not a mystical magical thing in the sky gamma is a result of your decisions and typically with meditation it's pretty instantaneous you know all karma isn't instantaneous but with meditation it's so wholesome it's so good it's such a high quality of good decision that typically the benefits are instantaneous so you may notice a little bit of a change in the mind that's the difference between practicing something where you can discover the truth on your own versus belief as i tell all the students who study with me from the very beginning don't ever believe anything i say don't ever believe anything but practice the teachings that i'm sharing with you and you should be able to observe the truth for yourself you should be able to see that by you practicing these teachings the condition of the mind slowly gradually improves you can see the truth for yourself that's the independent observation of the truth that's how you gain wisdom and this wisdom is what liberates the mind to attain enlightenment so teachers and guides are needed they're helpful but you have to do the work part of that work is on doing meditation part of that is learning the teachings part of that is practicing the teachings every day every moment so take this loving kindness that you've cultivated now that you've learned this do this regularly and then that loving kindness that you cultivate in the mind during meditation take it into daily life when you're chatting on the phone when you're chatting on text messages when you're chatting on facebook when you're at work when you're at home when you're interacting with people around you people that are close to you strangers cashiers gas attendants anybody practice loving kindness active goodwill towards all beings a genuine interest in seeing others be peaceful others be safe others be well and free of discontentness and the suffering that it causes essentially that last line is a genuine interest in seeing all beings be enlightened 
because if someone is free of discontentness and the suffering it causes, that means they're enlightened. They no longer experience a discontent mind. They no longer experience sadness, anger, frustration, irritation, guilt, shame, boredom, loneliness, shyness, jealousy. All of these feelings are eliminated. That's what it means to be free of discontentness and the suffering it causes. Because all of these discontent feelings feels like suffering sometimes. So you need to work at eliminating that and then having a genuine interest for other beings to have that same mental state, being free of discontentness. Are there any questions on what we did or what you experienced or anything at all related to meditation or the teachings of Gautama Buddha? Thanks, David. I'd like to inquire into the, the words we used because you talked there about the last phrase. As for the first three, so when we say may all beings be peaceful, safe, and well, right? I, I find these very powerful, very, very helpful. I was just wondering if, if you had any additional connotations for those three words specifically and why you recommend those three words. I have my own ideas, but I'm, I'm interested to know yours. They just work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think, uh, yeah. you know, I think being peaceful, right, is like peaceful, you know, calm, peaceful, serene, um, being safe, you know, because I have a genuine interest in people having a safe shelter, having safe clothes, having medicine, healthcare, not having war, not having hostility or aggression towards them, not having hostility directed at them. You know, that's the safety part of it. And that comes with peace as well. And then, you know, being well is um, along those same lines, you know, having food, having clothing, having shelter, having water, having medicine, having a genuine interest and just all beings being peaceful and safe and well and just having what they need to sustain this life and be comfortable in this life because without these three things being peaceful being safe being well you know life would be very difficult and having discontentness you know life would be very difficult you know i i grew up poor when i was first born, you know, had a single mom, you know, she made all our clothes, we lived on government welfare, we had food stamps, she worked, but we still needed government assistance in America. So I remember going to sleep hungry, but that was only for a limited time. There's people in the world that don't have food, that don't have clothes, that don't have shelter, that don't have clean water, that live in hostile environments where there's a lot of aggression and war and anger and fights and they fear for their life and there's just so many horrible conditions in the world that I never had to experience. I experienced some but not nearly what some beings on this earth experience. I have a genuine interest in all beings 
throughout the entire world, being peaceful, safe, well, and free of discontentness. And I know the only way that that can happen is if we start with ourselves, learning and practicing these teachings, eliminating the three poisons, and then sharing that with as many people across the world as possible. It's the only way. Has to start with us though, has to start with with me, because I can't change other people. We can only change our own mind. So that's why I offer these classes and the teachings and I have all the resources that I do because the more that I teach, the more people are gonna learn and the more the world will become a better and better place. Thanks for that, David. Yes, that's um, very much in line with what I felt. And also, I'm glad you mentioned money there as a kind of security because I think in today's world especially, money will provide security. And when I think safe, I, I, I don't just associate that with physically safe, but also that they don't have any looming worries, you know, any mm -hmm. kind of um, anyone pursuing them for money or mm -hmm. any risk of their financial security being uprooted. Uh, so it's not about having them having loads and loads of wealth, but just the the conditions for practice that's how i think about it so mm -hmm. health that is conducive to practice a financial situation that is conducive to practice and yeah. the peace of mind yeah to allow them to practice yeah while we're talking about this one of the things that came to my mind is you know that first precept that the buddha has about abandon the taking of life you know refrain from killing living compassionate, trembling for the welfare of all living beings. And I share with people about how we, you know, typically swipe an insect off or blow it off. This is part of eliminating hatred as well and eliminating anger, frustration, cultivating loving kindness and active goodwill towards all beings, peacefulness, safety, being well, free of discontentness, right? Because when an insect lands on us or we see an insect in our house, if we actively swat it to kill it. Some of us have grown up thinking that, yeah, that's what we need to do for insects. But if you can cultivate a level of awareness where even an insect lands on you and you're just kind of brushing it off or <sighs> blowing it off, or there's some ants in your house and rather than killing them all, you kind of vacuum them up or sweep them up and put them outside. If you can cultivate this level of genuine interest in seeing all beings be peaceful, safe, well, and free of discontentness. If you can do this in that action of doing it, then that will help you to cultivate and practice loving kindness in daily life with human beings and all beings. So this is why the Buddha's teachings on the first precept about abandon the taking of life refrain from killing, living compassionate, trembling for the welfare of all living beings. That's one of the reasons why we don't intentionally kill other beings. And this is one of the reasons why a lot of people who practice these teachings end up becoming vegetarian or vegan. Not everybody, but uh, of course, because that's permanence, but a lot of people because we see the action of not harming other beings, it actually helps to cultivate a mind of loving kindness, eliminating hate, anger, ill will, 
frustration, irritation, annoyance in your own mind. So by doing that little flick or that little blow, it actually is another practice for you of practicing loving kindness on that level of detail, that, that level. And I think you'll find if you start implementing these kinds of things into your life, not just the meditation, because the meditation is part of it, but you need to move that into practice. And what I just described there with an insect is one way to practice loving kindness, active goodwill towards all beings. May they be peaceful, safe, well, and free of discontentness. And truthfully for me, I understand that animals have it really hard. I mean, we've all been animals in our prior lives, but we just, you might not remember it at this point, but we've all been countless animals. And those animals that are animals now, I have so much compassion for them because I know it's really hard to get from that realm into the human realm so like the last thing I want to do is like kill and, you know, do harmful things to animals because they already have such a hard life. You know, they the best way to show compassion, trembling for the welfare of them is let them live their life, let them live out that gamma and hopefully they'll get to the human realm at some point. And one of the things that the Buddha also shared that I think will help you practice loving kindness is he talked about how we've all been family members at one time in our previous lives. So if you think of these countless births, millions and millions and millions of animals that you've been in the past, Max, when we were snakes, you were my mother and I was your daughter. And, you know, some other people like James, like when we were monkeys, you were my grandfather and I was your grandson or whatever. You know, we could go through all these different iterations but the Buddha was explaining how we've all been reborn so many countless times. He said it would be impossible for you to find a being that has not previously been your mother, your father, your brother, your sister, or some other relative. And if you feel that way, and if you really understand that, and you've observed your previous lives, all these millions of births, when that ant or that insect or mosquito lands on you, can I kill my mom? Can I kill my brother? Can I kill my my other relative? No. It's like, okay, go be well. Go go be reborn. Go go live out your life. Go be reborn. So if you understand the cycle of rebirth and all of these beings and how cultivating loving kindness, active goodwill towards all beings for yourself and all beings, and you can implement that into practice, not just in meditation, but in your daily activities, your daily practice, you will see enormous results. Because for me, if you can show loving kindness and compassion to that ant, it should be really easy for you to share it with a human being. Now, some people tell me it's easier to have loving kindness for dogs and cats and animals than it is for them to have it with human beings. And I understand why, because these animals aren't being hostile necessarily to you where you're getting hostility from maybe other humans, but you have to look past that and you can't judge them for their hostility and just know that they're suffering, they're discontent, they're having greed, hatred, and delusion, craving anger and ignorance. They haven't been exposed to these teachings yet. That hostility is not because of you. They're causing it themselves. So just don't judge them, have active goodwill, wish them well, peaceful, 
safety well, free of discontentness. So if you can practice to that level of detail, I think you'll see that it will slowly, gradually change your mind and you'll be better and better with all relationships in your life. Yes, I feel like what the practice of loving kindness does is rather than overlay a kind of feeling of loving kindness, it, it, it seems to actually remove something that's already in the way. I think that's a better way of looking at it. So you come yeah. to see people more as they really are, as yeah. they really are, not through the lens of your own attachments, whether yeah. that be crave or aversion. Yeah, you're removing that hatred. That's what you're removing, the anger, the ill will. You're removing all of that. And just, as you said, Max, seeing a human being just as a human being. Don't see, you know, some of us have been taught in our life about different skin colors mean certain things, different hair colors, different appearance. Sometimes people can be hostile just because of the appearance of somebody, you know, just let all that go. That's all conditioning. Just look at a human being as a human being and just have loving kindness, compassion, generosity, have a genuine wish for peacefulness, safety, and have them be well just because they're human, just because they're a dog, just because they're a cat, just because they're another living being that was most likely one of your relatives at some point in, in the past. So just let it all go and just love everybody. Doesn't mean you have to agree with their speech and their actions and their decisions. You can have difference of opinions. You might not agree with how they act in public or around certain people. You might not agree with that, but at least have a genuine interest and feel compassion for them and have a genuine wish for the good things in their life. Okay? Excellent. So, yeah. Thank you, David. You're welcome. On Sunday at 9 o'clock Thai time, we're going to be discussing gamma and how it affects you. We're going to demystify this whole natural law of gamma and help you see it as clear as day. Because the more you understand gamma and you can see it as clear as day, the better and better decisions you can make in your life in order to have good results. Because if you understand this natural law of gamma, just like you understand the natural law of gravity, you can function in life more peacefully, more with more safety, with more well. You're going to have a much, much better experience in this life. So on Sunday, we'll cover that. And then next Wednesday, we're going to cover chanting. And I'm going to teach chanting again. So I haven't done that for a number of weeks. So we'll get back into chanting and learn more about chanting. So until then... Continue your breathing mindfulness meditation. Continue with loving kindness meditation. All these meditations are just like a tool. It's like a hammer. You can't pick up a hammer and go build a house on the first day. So you can't do loving kindness meditation once and eliminate all your hatred and anger. It's going to take a gradual training over time. So keep working with these meditations. Develop them into a tool so that the more and more you develop them and use them, You'll get more proficient and you'll get better and better meditation results at the end of each one of your meditations. So until the next time I see you online or in class, online or in person, have a very wonderful day and may you be well. Sawadikap. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To provide support for this podcast, visit patreon.com forward slash support Buddha. 
To access more teachings, visit BuddhaDailyWisdom.com. There, you will discover a full range of courses, retreats, and online resources to assist you on the path to enlightenment. Remember to establish a daily, consistent meditation practice, along with learning and practicing these teachings. A well-developed meditation practice is the foundation in which to train the mind to attain enlightenment.